The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now on Fast Stocks, battle back from a sharp morning slide triggered by Microsoft's dismal guidance and a surprise loss by Boeing. The Dow erasing a 460-point loss to end the day in the green. Is this a bullish sign with the heart of earnings and a Fed meeting still to come? Plus, Google's hangover a day after the DOJ announcing a new antitrust suit. The stock keeps dropping. Why some tech watchers might think uh, the government's case could break through this time. And later, Susie Orman, the personal finance guru, is here. She'll take the wraps off a new report showing how real the struggle is for Americans trying to save money. We'll also get our take on the improving environment for risk-free ways to make your money grow. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Guy Adami, and Julie Beal, our newest CNBC contributor. Welcome, Julie. And we start off with Tesla's latest earnings report. The EV maker posting record revenue and a beat on the top line. The stock higher. The call kicks off in just about a half an hour's time. CNBC's Phil LeBeau has been digging in on the numbers. Phil. Melissa, you are correct. It was a beat on the top and the bottom line. Let's go through the numbers. And the one metric that we told everybody to watch, that they did not achieve what everyone was expecting. In terms of earning, came in at a buck 19 a share. The street was expecting a buck 13. Revenue coming in 37% growth annually, uh, year over year, up 24.3.2 billion. Or that's the total. That was better than the expectation. Here's the metric we've been talking about. Gross auto margins, excluding government credits for the zero emission vehicles most expected it to come in at 26.2 percent came in at 24.3 percent there's the margin compression that people have been talking about the concern that is out there by the way it was over 29 percent in the fourth quarter of 2021 so you really see the margin compression there but it's the delivery guidance that is also getting a lot of attention the company says that they expect to deliver at least 1.8 million vehicles this year they delivered 1.31 million last year. Do the math. It means that they're expecting growth of under 40%. I think 36, 37% is what 1.8 million comes out to. Then they go on to say in their investor letter, we maintain our guidance of 50% annual average delivery growth. In other words, may not be 50% growth in deliveries every single year, but over time, that's what we expect the average to be. Real quick, take a look at shares of Tesla again. And the stock, if you look at it over the last year, the pressure is there and people are wondering, is this margin compression, Melissa, something that you can look at and say, okay, we expected it a little bit in the fourth quarter, maybe in the first quarter, but they're really going to have volumes that are going to accelerate as they cut these prices. Or is this a trend? And you see them moving towards uh, profit margins, uh, gross auto margins in the low 20%, maybe in the teens, then it's a far different story. 
They make the point, Phil, in the shareholder letter that ASP is actually halved between 2017 and 2022. And during that same time, operating margins improved from negative 14 percent to positive 17 percent. So they're really trying hard to make that case that it is possible that we drop or they drop those prices and operating margins can still improve. That's the thing that investors are, are most concerned about, those margins. Absolutely. And for good reason. Look, yeah, can they raise prices down the road? Is that possible? Yeah, that's possible. But I think almost everybody agrees in the EV market. These price cuts portend what we might see in the future. You are going to see more competition, which is likely going to pressure not only Tesla, but all automakers to bring down that price point. I think the average EV, Melissa, in this country sold last year for something like fifty three, fifty four thousand dollars. Now, admittedly, many of those high end vehicles, electric vehicles, that's bringing it up. But the real growth is going to be that forty to forty five thousand dollar price point. Can somebody come in with a vehicle in that price point? Because I think there's heavy demand there. And that's why I think people are looking at Tesla and they're saying, OK, you've cut these prices in order to make the uh, the incentives, the federal incentives so that people will continue to to want the Model 3 and Model Y. But what are we going to see down the road? I -hmm. think that's the concern here. And that's what we're watching with the margin compression that we've seen year over year. Yep, and we'll get the margin guidance on this conference call. Phil, thanks. We'll check in with you a little bit later on. What do we make of this quarter, Tim? Well, you want to see from the company that the the growth number is, to me, demand growth is what this is all about. And and to the extent that ASP and price cuts actually fuel more demand, I I think um, that's why in the short run, I think, first of all, the maturity of this stock to be doing what it's doing after hours, uh, or at least to me, this is a a testament to how much Tesla has kind of grown up because the volatility or lack thereof when there are different elements of this announcement that I think investors could have gone after. Uh, I think looking at the big picture and understanding where production growth is going to be plus or minus around where they were, um, I I do think that the gross margin numbers are important, and I do think that it comes down to how are we assessing this company. It's interesting, we're not talking about non-automotive non-automotive revenues, which are actually starting to have some material size to them. But I call this an auto company. And I call this an auto company at a time when automakers are under uh, a fair amount of pressure. And I think Tesla should be as well. Um, Stocks rallied 40 percent off of that 101 number we hit on uh, Jan 6, I believe was the day. And, And it's surprising to me it's actually holding in this well. Karen. Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting quarter. I'm wondering, though, for the margin compression, how much of that is cost of goods sold? Mm-hmm. And how much of that is pressure on pricing? Mm. And I think to the extent that it's cost of goods sold, uh, yeah. I actually think that they have an advantage. They're, they're, you know, they're at scale. Those numbers you talked about before, they weren't at scale. Right. Right. So they're at scale now. And so I think they do it better than some other companies. So to the extent that it's cost of goods sold, we're going to see that elsewhere. We don't know how much of that is pricing. I haven't looked through the mix yet. I'm not sure how much is mixed. But we do, they talked about that price cut after the quarter was closed, right? That- so they had a China price cut, which took place yes, in December, yes. which we're seeing the impact of theoretically now. And then right. we have the U.S. price cuts, which we'll see in the first quarter. Right. So I'm not quite sure exactly where it's coming from. I agree with Tim, though, the idea that this, you know, is moving a little bit here. In the- so the trade actually was just to be short a straddle going into <laughs> Tesla, which I would never have said before. Right. right. Amazing. right. We'll see what he says on the call. It, it's always colorful. Yeah. Julie. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting to note the gross margin, and I think this it's hard to keep track of everything, right? Because you have things that are not related to the cars at all. You have the cost increases in terms of their materials. You also have the cuts in ASPs in China that are rolling through. I mean, to me, I just see increasing competition and increasing relevant competition. It's not you know, people that just don't have cars that are nearly as good, they're really quite good. And there's also a little bit of incremental fear that everything that's going on with Elon at Twitter is actually having an impact on the brand and damaging the brand. You know, I myself have a Tesla, wouldn't mind selling it. If anyone wants to DM me about it, that would be great. <laughs> but I, I think I think there is longer term problems with this brand. And I think overall, there's going to be a lot of pressure on EV pricing writ large. And, you know, they're competing against auto manufacturers who have scale and they have distribution even more important. Mm -hmm. So they're priced at a premium, obviously, Guy, especially when you're talking about the legacy automakers, which are trading at, at a single digit PE at this point. Yeah, and let's and again, you know, they seem to be focused on the automotive side of things. So let's focus on it. Declining margins is something that, you know, is it a one quarter thing? I think not. Typically, when you start that downward trajectory, it continues and there is competition. Clearly, I mean, the China story is, I think, um, somewhat mixed at best, if not challenged. And they're probably going to have a supply glut here in the United States. And to your point about P.E., you know, you look at it at basically a price to revenue. I mean, they're trading close to four times revenue. Which, all right, maybe they're deserving of some type of premium. You look at the other auto manufacturers, I mean, Ford and GM trade at less than one-time revenue. So I'm not suggesting it should go there, and Ford and GM are probably too cheap. But this stock has rallied probably 40% over the last couple months. It was in a downward spiral. I don't think this does anything to accelerate it to the upside from here. All right, let's get more color on this report with Gene Munster. Gene is the managing partner of Deepwater Asset Management. Gene, great to have you with us. You make the point, I, though, um, according to the notes that I've gotten, that that the operating margin number X credits, the numbers don't add up. Can you explain? Uh, it's a little bit of a mystery on a couple points on this. Of course, the two biggest questions are around margin and separately uh, related to what demand is. So let's start with the margin and the EVX credits. Uh, Phil talked about a number of 24.8%. That's the number that I uh, generally uh, I think is, is accurate. Uh, separately, I've seen other people who are close followers of Tesla report a number of 25.9%. Uh, Either way, it's soft, it's, it's light, so that's probably the most important takeaway. And of course, the critical point on this topic of margins is what is their guidance going to be? And I just want to fill in Tesla does have an outlook section in their report, and they talk about their margins uh, going to be higher than the automotive industry. Uh, the automotive industry is loosely at 16% margin. Uh, last quarter, in the September quarter, I should say, they were at 27%. Uh, I've talked about maybe it's 25, uh, let's just call it 25 right now. Uh, you can drive a truck uh, through 17% uh, uh, is higher than 16 and 25% is higher than 16. So we need some clarity on that. And I think that's going to have a big impact on how the stock trades uh, uh, tomorrow. The second quick piece that I'm just trying to get the numbers to line up is they also say in that outlook section that they will grow faster than 50% and end the year at 1.8 million vehicles. Uh, 1.8 million vehicles is up 37% from last year. And so um, 
you know, usually it's pretty clear what happened, what is happening. In this case, I need a little bit more clarity. This could just be uh, simple mistakes on my end, but I just need more clarity. Could they, I mean, they say actually in the Outlook section, um, 1.8 million cars. Could there possibly, does it make more sense mathematically if we are just talking about cars as opposed to vehicle? I mean, maybe they're not, not counting crossovers or whatnot. They're being really fine in terms big. of how they slice it. Could be, but it's a the difference between 37% and better than 50. It's it's uh, 200,000 vehicles. It's a pretty wide gap, and if you look at S and X and semi, it's not even it wouldn't even be close to those. So uh, and they, and I think they would also be considered cars. And so uh, I wish I could have. I would love just to give you a very clear answer about uh, you know what this is. My sense is that they're guiding for a number of two million uh, because I think demand has just skyrocketed since this price cut. And ultimately, I think the street was at around 1.8 million. So I actually think once the dust settles here, the message is going to be margins are coming down, just like people had expected. Demand is going up, just like people had expected. And ultimately, uh, the the true, uh, you know, this is probably going to end up being a little bit soft in the near term, Tesla shares, and probably just kind of uh, be sideways over the next quarter until investors get a better sense of what the underlying growth is outside of these price cuts. Hey, Gene, it's Karen. Thanks for coming on today. What do you think of Cybertruck? What are your expectations for this year or next year? I know the you know, timing of the Cybertruck has never been difficult to pin down always. So what are you hoping for? I hope very accurate. Uh, they said in uh, agree that the timing has been difficult. They did say in their outlook section they expect to have it out this year. Uh, that's translation for probably a few thousand. Uh, next year, I suspect it's probably going to be in the uh, 50,000 to maybe 100,000 range, pretty modest, well below what the uh, Ford Lightning is going to be. That's probably going to be more like 200,000. Uh, but I think 2025 is probably the breakout year for Cybertruck. Gene, I wanted to ask you, and this is purely hypothetical, so maybe this is a little bit of an unfair question, but it, it goes to how investors should process the various numbers. And, and so let's say Tesla says, you know, uh, margins uh, will be to the point of uh, them being higher than the, than the legacy OEMs, something like 17, 18 percent, which is higher but, but really low compared to what they've re- reported in the past. And then you factor in two million vehicles. What do you focus on more? They got to do them both. I mean, that's the rea- that's right. what's made this story so magical is they've had both the growth and the margin expansion. They do also uh, add language about how aggressively <laughs> they've been cutting costs. I suspect that they will probably will be vague about what their margins are going to be. And then uh, analysts will model them more at that 17 to 20 percent range and then start to have them growing in the back half of the year. Mm. Gene, uh, thank you. We will talk to you after the earnings conference call kicks off. That is happening in about 17 minutes time. Um, Guy. Your thoughts at this point? Well, again, I mean, margin, I think it's a margin story. And Gene said, you know, the demand they're going to see, they better hope they see the demand on the back of these price cuts or they're going to have a real problem in terms of excess inventory and then subsequently lower margins. But to his point about driving a truck through where the market is now or where the OEMs are now, the, the legacy players at 16 percent or so and where they are, you know, what, he, what, I, think, what I think Tesla is saying is, they're going to trend down to a high teens margins. And the question you have to ask yourself is, in that environment or this environment with those margins, is it worthy of the premium valuation that it gets? And I I don't personally think that it is. 
All right. Meantime, um, shares of Chevron getting a boost after hours after the company upped its quarterly dividend by 6 percent to a buck 51 a share. Chevron's board also authorizing a share buyback of $75 billion worth of stock. The stock is basically flat so far this year, but now at nearly 40 percent in just the last 12 months. Tim. This has been the story for Chevron, um, and, and it's certainly the overall story for the, the sector. But they're the leader, and in terms of the debt pay down, and if you listen to the numbers, and you heard this from Schlumberger a couple days ago, I mean, there's a race to, to actually increase payout levels, uh, to be well north of 50%, and to increase the divs. And, and I think that's why this becomes a sector that's a lot more investable uh, and why the weighting in the S&P is going to go higher. It's a pretty hefty buyback. It's huge. Right? $75 billion worth of I mean, of that stock. alone, I, I guess that's about, I don't know, a little over 20, maybe 23% of the market cap. Last time they did one was, I think, 2019, which I think was, I don't know, $25 billion. That was huge. Mm. This is even huger. Huger. Yes. It's a big buyback. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a news alert meantime on Meta, the company ending former President Trump's ban on Facebook and Instagram. Meta saying in a statement, new guardrails are in place to deter repeat offenses. Does this help? Meta, Julie? Well, you know, I mean, they're all searching for relevance right now. And, you know, Elon has certainly made it easy for people to fire employees and let people on the networks that caused a lot of problems. I think, you know, when you think about what happened when Twitter first banned uh, President Trump, you had misinformation declining something like 40 to 50 percent overnight. And so the guardrails better be substantial because, you know, there is a history here. What I do think is important to note is that, you know, President Trump really needs Facebook. It's an excellent platform for him to be able to raise money. And so it does kind of put them back in the news. I think it was interesting how they decided to make this decision, right? They had a council, a separate council that decided they wanted to push it back to Mark, and then Mark pushed it back off to the side. So, you know, I think it's interesting thinking about how they're going to make decisions for these types of issues going forward. Up next, more After Hours action coming your way. Shares of Las Vegas, Sands, and IBM on the move after reporting results. we got the numbers from the quarters next, plus Alphabet continuing its drop. Is the DOJ lawsuit worse than expected, and how long will this hang over the stock? we got the details when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Double dose of earnings starting with Las Vegas Sands. Shares initially dropping, but now higher after reporting a bigger than expected loss in the fourth quarter, saying travel restrictions weighed on their results. Contessa Brewer has been dialed into the conference call. Hey, Contessa. You want to know why those shares turned around, Melissa? It's because who cares about the last quarter? It's a whole new world in Macau. And in uh, the first question that we heard on the call, what's it going to take for you to break even in Macau? The answer was, and I quote, we're way past it. CEO Rob Goldstein says they're already positive. They're moving toward very profit positive. The premium customer, they say, is going to lead the recovery. And then in terms of volume and visitation, Sands, they say, is outperforming the market. In Singapore, they set new records in mass gross gaming revenue and in retail revenue in spite of cost pressures surrounding labor, inflation, et cetera, in part because Singapore, too, these are the high-value customers who are coming in and they're spending. That first answer was what sent those shares positive in extended trading. Melissa? All right. Contessa, thanks. Contessa Brewer. It's like they just opened the floodgates, Tim. The things change immediately. Well, it's all based upon the Macau business on some level. And if you look at the discount that, that LVS and Wynn, and, and really those are the key ones, have to where gross gaming revenue was in a pre-pandemic. We're, we're trading at about 15 or 20 percent. Well, actually, we are at 15 to 20 percent of where gross gaming revenue was pre-pandemic. And if you think about the opportunities here, it doesn't have to happen tomorrow, but you think about where these uh, companies are trading on an EBITDA level, and there's still a lot of upside here. So um, Singapore has been an exciting part of the story. There's cash in the balance sheet, but there is profitability here, and there's a, there's a valuation discount. We're just showing a graphic, Tim, that said forward PE is 91. Is that... Is that right? Well, if you if you base it uh, if you prorate it based upon what they've shown here, I think yeah. you know. But I don't think that's accurate. And in fact, uh, on an EBITDA level, I'd say it's trading at about 12 times, where historically it's been closer to 16. Well, IBM's also out after the Bell shares initially getting a pop, but now negative profit coming in in line with estimates, revenues topping expectations. The company also giving an upbeat outlook for 2023, but is reportedly planning to cut 3,900 jobs. Let's get to Frank Holland, who's got the latest from the call. Frank. Well, yeah, Melissa, IBM shares fluctuating even on the call at one point as much as 2% higher. Uh, we look at the results, though. Solid beats for software that includes Red Hat, also solid beats for infrastructure, consulting in line. The company said demand actually increased in December. Much different story than we heard from Microsoft. And speaking of Microsoft, on the call just now, CEO Arvind Krishna talking about IBM's investments in AI and the usage of AI tools called large language models. Businesses can deploy AI with a fraction of the time and resources. That is why we are investing in large language or foundation models for our clients and have infused these capabilities across our AI portfolio. All right, now we're a bit in the weeds here, but for context, OpenAI's ChatGPT is the best known large language models, kind of a veiled reference to Microsoft there. IBM also the latest tech company to announce job cuts, 3,900 or 1.5% of the workforce. The company says the cuts are connected to its spinoff of Kindrel and divestiture from healthcare. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Frank, thanks. Frank Holland. Karen, what'd you make of the quarter? Uh, I thought the quarter was decent. I don't own IBM. I just sort of found it to be sort of a slow grower, although they, I mean, you know, that was a, that was a nice quarter. I think the valuation isn't overly expensive. It's below market multiple, as I think decent yield, close to 5%, not quite. I don't know. I still, I, I also don't think that there isn't a company out there that can't lay off some number of people. And when you're as big right. as IBM, I don't view that in any way as negative at all. It's a positive, all. actually. Absolutely. I think it's a positive. <laughs> there isn't a big company out there that doesn't have some fat that they could cut. So I think that's good. If I, if I owned it, 
I would definitely hang on to it. I'm not a buyer right here, though. Yeah, Guy. Listen, the Red Hat deal, as Tim has said, and we've brought up, it saved their bacon because, you know, the integration is now such that that's really obviously the driver here. And valuation, you could wrap your head around it. You could do that for a long time on the way down, too. Good news is I think you're seeing the best revenue growth in about a decade or so. So they're seemingly starting to figure it out. I'm not all that concerned about layoffs. Obviously, on the human side, I am. But in terms of the business, I don't think it necessarily moves the needle. And this is one of those stocks that actually could surprise some people as we go through the year. So I think you can own it here. I don't think it's a disaster by any stretch of imagination. When we're saving someone's bacon, what does that mean? I mean, what what part of the the body for that person because they will want the bacon? I love bacon. But that's my assumption. You you got us all hungry before dinner time. Come on. All right. There's a lot more fast money to come. You don't go to the. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, you don't go to what? (laughs) Now you're leaving us hanging. No. No. Well, no, I was going to say, you don't go to the supermarket hungry, Tim. That's always a bad idea. You wind up buying things you don't need, bacon being one of them. The more you know. Here's what's coming up next. Alphabet anxiety. Shares unable to catch a bid with the rest of the market as investors continue to digest the DOJ's latest suit. Could the impact be worse than expected? The details ahead. Plus, we're counting down to the first Fed meeting of the year and to the last few key data points before the decision. What you should watch for and what it might mean for the markets. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at shares of Alphabet losing ground for a second day. The stock unable to rebound with the rest of big tech and the broader markets today. It is now down nearly 5% in the last two days. The declines coming after the DOJ filed a new antitrust lawsuit against the tech giant yesterday. Here's what former Obama official Anish Chopra had to say about the government's case. So this is going to come down to emails and other evidence that they've been actively manipulating the technology infrastructure that powers how you and I access uh, the free and open ad-supported internet. My guess is we at this point don't have the receipts from the Justice Department in terms of what they've got. So could this be a hangover for Alphabet like the one Microsoft had to deal with for so many years? Julie, what do you say? Yeah, you know, I am a massive dork, so I actually did read the 153-page report that the DOJ put out, and uh, I just wanted to take a break from romance novels, you know, and mix it up. (laughs) But the language that uh, the government is using is pretty powerful. You know, they talk about the insidious use of technology, the Trojan horse that they planted, insidious. It's just a lot of really strong language. And it's all mostly tied to emails that they've been able to uncover. So it, they really make it seem like everyone at Google is like, I'm going to tamper with the ad market. And what I would say is most of us really don't understand how the ad market works. It's actually extremely complex. So it's a great primer. But I think if any of these receipts really 
are good and valid, this is going to be problematic for Google. And splitting up the most profitable part of their business has major implications for the stock. The analyst over at Wells Fargo out with a note today saying that in comparison to past lawsuits, past investigations, this one seems, quote unquote, fairly substantive. And so is concerned about this one this time around. Karen, what do you think? Mm -hmm. Well, you're always concerned, right? Right. But uh, when I try to think about the Microsoft situation, I mean, it hangs over them for a while. I think we'll see people will sort of forget about this in the interim unless there's some real fireworks, which could happen at some point. But I think, you know, the the legislation looking to do something, that's sort of receded to the back burner. I think that Google in the shorter term will be driven by next week, for example. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to talk about this. I think it's going to be much more about their earnings and about the advertising market and, um, you know, how how they're doing, how some of their other businesses are doing, and more about cost-cutting there. I think all of that will take precedence over this. This will hang over them for who knows how long. I'm guessing in the end they settle something. Right. I think the key is where we're going to start to see the earnings revisions and where they settle in. Over the last six months, you've seen EPS revisions come in close to 20 percent, and you've seen the top line come in um, 6 to 8 percent. So that's really the story here. If you think about where Google has gone over the last couple of years in terms of a, of a re-rating, it's really been three or four years, you know, at some point when you, uh, you, you think of Ruth Porat and you think about some of the dynamics in terms of separating the different businesses, transparency, that's been really important for the shares. To the extent that some of that is kind of qualitative touchy-feely, and this is qualitative touchy-feely, I do think it kind of keeps you locked in more of a range. But uh, agree with Karen, it's going to come back to where are we pricing mega cap tech? Google's always been the cheapest. Uh, and you've already seen a pretty healthy discount in terms of where that is. It's about 17 times 24. And I think that's pretty attractive. The decline today, Guy, in your view, was it overhang from yesterday's news or more the concern about Microsoft? I think Microsoft had a lot to do with it. Obviously, you know, the ad spend world is that's been a drag for a while. Stock Google is down 38 percent, I think, since it's all time high. So a lot of this is priced in. But this doesn't help. But I think this is the fifth antitrust lawsuits in the last two and a half years or so against Google. At a certain point, you know, you got to fish or cut bait. I mean, if there's either something there or there's not. And it's clear they're dominant. But one has to wonder, just because you're dominant doesn't mean necessarily you're doing something wrong. So we'll see. I think Karen's right. It comes down to earnings next week. You know, we've talked about this on valuation for a while. That's been incorrect. But, you know, short of a disaster next week, I think you're going to get a bounce in the name. All right. Coming up, stocks closing well off the lows of the session as we count down to the last few data points before the Fed meeting, what markets are watching for from tomorrow's numbers. And personal finance expert Susie Orman will join us. The major red flag she is seeing in savings rates. What you can do to buck this trend. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on markets today. Stocks managing to climb back from some steep losses this morning and close virtually flat. The Dow eking out a small gain. It's fourth positive day in a row. The S&P and Nasdaq both stayed red, but well off their lows. And check out the trading in Microsoft today. As we reported last night, the stock jumping more than 4% after its earnings report, but then took a big leg lower after the company laid out softer than expected guidance just after we went off the air. Uh, It was down as much as 4.6% at its lows, but like the rest of the market, was able to claw back 
back most of its losses. And shares of Tesla higher after its report this afternoon. Uh, the conference call just kicking off uh, five minutes ago. We'll bring you the headlines as they come up one and a half percent. Meantime, Treasury yields dropping today as traders await the first read on Q4 GDP tomorrow and inflation data later this week. All as countdown to the Fed's next uh, rate decision is on. CNBC on-air editor Rick Santelli has got the latest. And, and you know, something very interesting happened today. The Bank of Canada is pausing. That really gives investors hope here. Yes, a conditional pause. Uh, but let's keep in mind, we can contrast that with the Australian December CPI, which came out at a whopping 8.4%. So it was a real give and take day, just like the markets. And if you look at an intraday chart of 10s, you can clearly see we made our low yield pretty much right after the Microsoft and the opening of the stock market, and it continued to rise a bit. And that Bank of Canada uh, really changed the tone of the market, many thinking, of course, that we're going to be on a similar path to the Bank of Canada. Conditional pause. Now, when you add a second day into that chart, Melissa, what you'll see is, is that if you watch the late session Treasury closes, which aren't at 4 o'clock, uh, 4 o'clock Eastern when stocks close, they trade for a while longer. We settled below yesterday's 345% low. So that's very key. And if we consider the dollar index is paying close attention to the direction of interest rates based on the weakness that's being portrayed in earnings potentially, it closed at an eight-month low. And finally, look at the VIX. The VIX says it all. The VIX peaked out right around uh, 11 o'clock Eastern and then proceeded to actually close lower on the session. Now, tomorrow we have obviously our first look at fourth quarter GDP. I think we need to pay particularly close attention to the price index. I'm thinking it's going to come in close to 4%. Remember, high watermark in Q2 was 9%, the highest since 81. And when we consider Friday's inflation data, I think my call is year-over-year core deflator. That's what I think traders are going to pay most attention to. I think it's going to be much closer to 4% than many of the estimates. Rick, thank you. Rick Santelli for us at the CME Group. Um, what did you make of the turnaround today? Uh, well, I- extraordinary. If you think yeah. about also the failure of, of stocks seemingly at the 200 yet again, and in fact not. And so, you know, Microsoft, I, I think, gave the kind of a guide that actually may have reset some expectations, but it was it was extraordinary. I, I think the, the move in the bond market that was related to that is something that I, I, we've seen these type of knee jerks out there. Uh, it gets back to, do you believe the Fed in their assessment of the bond market or do you believe the bond market itself? And if you look, uh, I, I go to Fed fund futures and I, I still think that at some point um, they are being being overly aggressive and expecting 35 basis points of cutting between July of this year, where we peak yeah. on Fed fund futures, and December. And that, to me, uh, gets me concerned about the market. That's why I think we have many phases to what this is. And, and unfortunately, we're not following the typical bear market script here. It was obviously a big turnaround. I don't know what what to attribute it to. There's, you know, what Tim said, there's this big difference between what the bond market's telling about when the Fed might actually reverse course. I sort of agree with you. I don't think that's going to happen. And then I also think just as strong a a phenomenon is this expectation that even if we're in a slowdown, it will be shallow. It will be quick. If if earnings don't come in great, look through it. Next quarter will be better. I think the market feels that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what's fascinating is that, you know, the idea that we're going to be, um, you know, getting all these major companies reporting earnings, Julie, and whatever guidance they give could move the biggest market in the world, the bond market. I mean, that's sort of a new dynamic here for earnings season. 
Yeah, it's a real conversation that's happening between uh, earnings and the bond market. And I think it's everyone has kind of woken up to the fact that the bond market was much sooner to realize than the Fed that inflation was not going to be transitory. And I think we've all wised up and realized there's a lot to be learned from what's going on over there. But I agree, the idea that there's going to be cuts happening in the back half of the year to me seems far-fetched unless we have a major problem in the economy, in which case we have bigger problems to worry about. Who wins, Guy? What the Fed says, higher for longer, or what the bond market is pricing in? I think the Fed wins. I mean, I, I believe that they, again, they're trying to message extraordinarily clearly. The market's choosing not to listen to them, but they've been steadfast. And I think they happen to be right, by the way. If you look below the surface, and Tim can speak to this, you know, gasoline prices over the last couple of weeks are starting to go back higher. Some of these commodities are starting to go higher again. Soft commodities, grains, uh, base metals are starting to go higher. So I think they understand that if they signal they're going to stop or God forbid that they're going to cut for some unforeseen reason, I think it's just going to reaccelerate the commodity market, which makes the inflation problem that they're rightly trying to combat that much more difficult to defeat. All right. Coming up, Intel on deck. The semi-stock gearing up to report results after the bell tomorrow. And that has options traders plugging in how they're playing this name in just a few. But first, the state of America's personal finances. Expert Susie Orman will join us next to lay out what is top of mind for consumers and savers. And she's got a major financial warning that could be affecting you. She'll explain when Fast Money returns. Another check on Tesla shares here up by just a half a percent or so. The company's conference call about 14 minutes in. CEO Elon Musk is on the call. Gene Munzer has been listening in. He's got some of the headlines here. Gene, what are they saying? Uh, Melissa, Musk is saying that demand is strongest in the company's history. He said that uh, production right now or, or demand is outpacing production by 2x. So this is part of trying to decode that guidance. Was it 1.8 million vehicles for 2023? Was it 2 million? Uh, they still haven't given uh, the definitive answer because they're still in prepared remarks with their CFO at this point. But uh, his commentary, the reason why the stock's moving up, his commentary that orders are outpacing demand by 2x is why the stock is moving higher. He also predicted that the overall auto industry will contract in 2023. And so... Uh, that would beg the question, is that 37% growth at 1.8 a good number if the industry contracts? Um, that's why the stock's moving. We still don't have a full answer on that guidance. All right, Gene, thanks. We'll check back in with you a little bit later on. A new Thank survey you. out says Americans are dangerously unprepared for a financial shock. Nearly 70% unable to cover a $400 emergency expense right now. And with high inflation crushing American savings, that could have huge ripple effects across the entire economy. We're joined now by personal finance expert Susie Orman. She's the co-founder of Secure Save, an emergency savings account company, and the publisher of that survey. Susie, it's so great to see you. Uh, welcome to Fast Money. Thank you, my dear Melissa. It's so true that, you know, I watch Fast Money all the time. And everybody talks about the earnings and everything. But what you have to understand is if people don't have the money to buy things, eventually that's going to affect everybody. And most of America today has absolutely no money if you look at it. It's amazing, Susie, because I think the party line, and when I say party line, I mean consensus among economists, among you know a lot of market watchers, is that the consumer is in very good shape this time around. They're flush with cash. They saved during the... And you're saying no to all of that, that the consumer is in actually in much worse shape 
than, than how others are portraying it? Well, I'll tell you what I think personally has been happening. They were so flush with cash because during the pandemic, they had no place to spend the money that unemployment was giving them, extra, extra unemployment, all kinds of stimulus checks. They didn't have to pay their mortgage, their rent, their student loan payment. And here we are now, a year or two later, Interest rates are through the roof for most of them. Rent, they can't afford. They can't buy a house. They can't buy eggs. They can't buy a car. They're living paycheck to paycheck. 74% of the people we surveyed are living paycheck to paycheck. So now they're spending down all the money they had in their savings accounts. Soon they'll be using their credit cards, not be able to pay it. They'll start defaulting. And look at repossessions of cars, Melissa. We're at the highest repossession of cars we've ever been at. Eventually, this will hit, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. And we haven't even seen the full effects of what the Fed is doing in terms of the impact on the economy. S Susie, I think people want to know, what are you personally, you are the expert, what are you personally doing with your money right now? Yeah, you know, starting quite a while ago now, I totally got out of tech. I went to cash and almost 80% of my wealth, besides being in municipal bonds, is in three to six month treasury bills. And I've kept them very short term, just in case interest rates do go up, I can roll up. On the Women and Money podcast, I have told everybody that that's what they should be buying, but do not go further out than six months. And I definitely wouldn't be in bills going past June or July because I want to see what's going to happen with this debt crisis that we're in. So uh, from time to time, I do talk to Susie and I got to tell you, she's a really good investor, which is I mean, it's not surprising, but it's because she watched Fast with Money. Well, that right. could be that. But I just, anyway, so Susie, I'm wondering, so when you talk to these, uh, well, I guess some of them are in a position to be investors and some don't have the, the cash to be an investor. Are they afraid of the market now? How do you how do you tell them to uh, address that fear? So here's the thing. If you can get 4.8% in a three or six month treasury and you're afraid of the market and you don't understand the market, what's so wrong about right now just being in treasuries? Those that have a lot of time on their side, they're in their 30s, they're in their 40s. All right. Dollar cost average into these markets. I'm still a big believer in energy stocks. You know, as you may remember, in March of 2020, I had everybody going into XLE and energy stocks. I thought it was one of the stupidest calls I told everybody that maybe I ever made when energy was down negative $30 a barrel. But I am still a big believer that energy is still viable great dividends. So I've been having them go into there for dividends and things like that. There's all types of mutual funds or exchange traded funds that are giving some nice diversification. But I'm a little bit careful now going too heavily into tech at all. And the total stock market index funds and spiders, their top holdings are all tech. So I'm being really conservative with how I'm telling people to invest right now. I think that'll change in two quarters. But right now, that's where I'm standing. All right. I hope you'll join us in about four months to tell us what else you're doing with your, <laughs> your, your uh, treasury holdings. <laughs> Susie, it's great to speak with you. Thank you. See you soon. I'll come to maybe Miami and say hi. Come on down, Susie. Always welcome. <laughs> great to right. see you. Thanks. Susie Orman. Guy, what do you make of Susie's advice? 
I love Susie. I mean, when we first started this show, Susie was such a steadfast supporter. Best to KT, by the way, Susan. Mm -hmm. Listen, what she's talking about is with an unemployment rate currently at three and a half percent. So think about what the landscape looks if we get to five percent, which, by the way, I'll say it again. I think that's what the Fed is sort of targeting. So she doesn't paint a particularly rosy picture. The market hangs in. You know, she's looking at things at 30,000 feet. You overlay that with what um, Marco said last night, with what Mike Wilson has been talking about. And it makes you wonder uh, the resilience of the market, really where it's coming from at these levels. Susie is, is someone that's always positive and always constructive, and it's part of why we love her here. And, and the part of the story that's actually very positive is the story that she's recommending about where your money can actually earn you something. One of the worst parts of the last 15 years, I mean, financial oppression has essentially been not only pushing people out on the risk curve to get some kind of a return on their money, but a lot of people that need to live on a fixed income. So um, that's the glass half full. It's actually a pretty extraordinary time to be locking into longer term yields. And even, you know, Beyond six months, at least out to two years, I think there's some comfort, especially if you think that rates are going to collapse. You, you actually might miss out on some of that. So it's a good time. Coming up, Intel on deck to report earnings. So what are the options Pitts predicting that trade and more when Fast Money returns? Welcome back. The earnings parade rolls on tomorrow when Intel reports results. That stock and the rest of the chip sector outperforming the broader market this year. And one options trader is betting tomorrow's report could add fuel to the chip makers rip higher. Brian Sellen has the action. Brian. Yeah, I mean, the option traders are looking for almost a 9% move after Intel's earnings. And typically, historically, that's been about a 5% move up or down. So there could be a significant move coming here. You saw those returns in the semiconductor ETF SMH up on the year. So the upside is in play and traders were buying 1,500 of the Fed, 35 calls for 15 cents. Now that's not so exciting or whatever, but we saw a handful of these type of trades. This was trading in February. We saw trades in March going all the way out to September. So certainly the upside seems to be in play here in Intel. If it rips through this 31 level, there's not a whole lot of resistance all the way up to 40. So I see why traders are buying the upside here. All right, Brian, good to see you. Brian Sutland from Options Action. Tune into the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time coming up. The moment you have all oh my gosh. for. Exciting. The winner of our 2023 Trader oh Acronym Poll. So which name do you think will lead the charge this year? The reveal. I wonder who it is. Oh, man. And the final trades next. Nail biter. Got some guidance from the Tesla conference call. Gene Munzer's got the latest. Gene? Melissa, uh, Kirkhorn, the CFO, said that automotive gross margins, I assume X credits, to be above 20% in 2023. I was thinking it would be 18 to 20%. It's, uh, that clarity has been a little bit of a pop to the stock here. Yep, up one and a third percent. Gene, thanks. Gene Munster of Deepwater. All right, it is a moment that everybody is America has been waiting for. I'm going to cut to the chase. Grasso won. <laughs> we knew that because he was at 19% yesterday, and there's no way uh, that anybody else could catch up. Anyway, so Grasso won. Sorry, guys. Final trade time. Let's go around the horn. Julie Beal. <laughs> uh, CDW. Guy Dami. <laughs> Marathon Petroleum. MPC. Are you disappointed? He said he has a large family, I, voting, I, you know. Yeah, I can't huge. My he disappointment, I can't contain it. Tim. It's where you finish in the end. Rio Tinto, I think, will be finishing higher, too.
We had 9,000 votes, but we probably had six people. <laughs> right. Karen, what do you think? You just kept pressing, pressing. You know, I'm going related to Tim's and going with my girl Susie, XLE. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.